Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz Live from our Barangaroo Studios. Great to have your company on the call. Ten stocks picked by you. I put those stocks to our two experts and they give their opinion on them. So let's not muck about. Let's bring in our expert panel. Joining us from Toowoomba, Andrew Weiland from DP Wealth Advisory and our financial rock god. Jennings from Marcus oh. today. Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley, <laughs> did you know this bloke's <laughs> hidden talent? <laughs> oh, look, I, I knew he was talented, uh, but, you know, it's probably a family-friendly show, so we can't go into all of his uh, skills. But, uh, no, I didn't realise there was that part of uh, Henry's repertoire. So. Uh, I, Lib and I and some of our neighbours, we went and saw the All Sorts on the Northern Beaches the other weekend, and we had the best time. And it was fun. It was great. And then I, I then Googled Henry, as you as you do. Yeah. And you're on, it wasn't Triple J then, I think it was Double J's unearthed list. <laughs> Possibly. A while Possibly. ago. I think unearthed means that I've been dead and buried for some time. <laughs> and just, no, no one's bothered to dig me up. <laughs> well, that's more to the point. I tell you what, I had a, um, I thought Ausbiz has got to have an end of year or end of financial year party for subscribers and viewers, and we will book the all sorts uh, for a get together, I reckon, to celebrate. We'll be there. All right. We'll be there, Koshi. We'll it was it. great fun. fun. I love that. It was good fun. It was good fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. All right, let's get uh, into the serious side of it. Um, this half hour, we're going to be taking a look at people in Caravel Minerals, Capricorn Metals, Emerald Resources and Evolution Mining. So a bit of a mining bent in the first half hour and quite a few gold miners in there on uh, a day where gold miners have come back down to earth a bit after having a bit of a run over the last couple of weeks with all the banking issues. Uh, But I thought stock of the day today, we'd take a look at uh, Harvey Norman. Co-founder and chairman Jerry Harvey has bought nearly $72 million worth of shares in the retail retail giant so far this month. The transactions follow uh, Jerry slamming investor response to its REIT results as a total overreaction. So he's put his money where his mouth is. Earnings, if you recall, were down 8% in the period with reported profit after tax down 15%. So, Andrew Wylett, does, does Jerry Harvey putting his money where his mouth is give you confidence in thinking, I should be doing the same thing, that maybe it was an overreaction, that he knows more than I do? 
Oh, well, certainly to the second part of your question, that's a given, Koshi, because given uh, what you're working with, uh, I'm, I'm sure most people know more than I do. But um, in, in all seriousness, as you know, one of my little measures that I use is it has management got skin in the game? And uh, certainly $72 million is some pretty significant skin. So uh, it, it's something to make me look at it more closely. But why am I being so guarded, Koshi? Why am I sort of hedging my bets? Yep. Um, Look, there's a few reasons, one of it being that, as we know, Harvey Norman's not actually a retail, it's really a listed property trust. Uh, and as we know, uh, listed property trusts are under immense pressure at the moment. Uh, I note in the financial press again today, there's a lot of commentary in particular around commercial, which isn't necessarily Harvey Norman, but nevertheless, you know, some of the commentary is with unlisted property, is it the next domino to fall and all this sort of volatility that we're seeing at the moment? So certainly uh, property uh, exposure has me a little bit guarded. Uh, but again, coming back to the fact, where do they get their cash flow from, which of course is around the retailing part, and with 10 straight interest rate rises on the row, potentially 11, heaven forbid, that's coming at us next month, then there's a lot of squeeze on that consumer discretionary spending as well. So I can certainly see why he's buying given the, the, the depreciation nature, price nature rather, and the fact that he's getting a 7% uh, fully frank dividend, that's certainly pretty good. But would I be buying or would I be suggesting my clients buying? I would not. I'm not suggesting that they sell. When it was over $5, I was saying they should sell. But uh, I think there could be a little bit more pain, sadly, coming yet. So at best, it is a hold. Okay. Uh, Henry, what's your view? Um, Koshi, I, I have to agree with my learned friend, Andrew, that the problem with Harvey Norman is that it's just very complicated. And maybe it is only Jerry and Katie that actually understand the whole way the thing works, because it is kind of a quasi property trust. It's a retailer. It's not easy. It's exposed to consumer spending. There's also at the moment, of course, the latitude issue, which is going around. Latitude uh, is tied up with Harvey Norman, that data uh, theft that we've seen. I know that my wife uh, got an interesting email from them the other day. I'm not sure what she's been buying at um, through Latitude, mm. but apparently she has. And uh, there is that sort of humming away in the background. You know, this is chump change for Jerry, let's face it, 72 million bucks worth. This probably just takes into account the dividend he's going to get. So it's a bit like a DRP <laughs> for him. You know, he's got 32% yep. of the company now. It's just, there's lots of moving parts, but the overriding factor that stops me from going oh i'm going to follow jerry is the fact that we are entering a period where we're being constantly told the consumer is pulling back spending uh, that we've got this fixed mortgage cliff coming up and then uh, things are slowing so it's hard to get enthused on the back of that not only from the from the property trust point of view but also in terms of um consumer spending so yeah. Yeah, it just really, it's just <coughs> hard. Yeah. Why? Why would I follow Jerry? I mean, he's been great and, he, you know, it's a $4 billion company, but a lot of that money is, is based on property valuations. And to be honest, if, if he moved out, who would move in? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you can, you know, it's not like there's an obvious substitute for your local Harvey Norman to, uh, you know, to sell that lease or to, uh, to get out of that lease and, and move on and go somewhere else. It's right. You know, it's pretty much yep. part of the furniture. Yep. Uh, and you make a good point. It seems a lot of money, but um, it is like a dividend reinvestment plan for him. He's um, made that in dividends. <clears throat> All right. 
let's get into the stocks you want us to take a look at. Uh, Robert wants a view, Andrew, on People In. Um, he said he bought it some time ago. Uh, based on favourable PEs, uh, the stock has not performed well lately. Is it time to exit? It's a workforce solutions company operating in Australia and New Zealand, uh, recruiting, contracting, onboarding, rostering, timesheet management, payroll, bit of an IT flavour to it, which would be why it's been a bit hammered as well, Andrew. Potentially, Koshi, I would, and you're certainly right relating to that IT thing. Having said that, in this most recent market volatility, tech has actually held up incredibly well. Yeah. If you have a look at, you know, Microsoft up 7% for the month, uh, Apple equally doing pretty well also. But I think the big issue here with PPE um, is around the fact that it's actually involved in uh, HR or that sort of labour hire, not labour hire, but sort of labour as such. And so what I mean by that is with the unemployment rate as low as it is, and you ask anybody in business, it is incredibly hard to find people at the moment. If it's hard to find people, then, you know, the natural growth in that business, albeit, you know, the results haven't been too bad, but looking out over the horizon, it's pretty hard for them to sort of grow that business. The other thing that sort of concerns me, Koshi, and again, we're coming into another Andrewism, if I can put it that way, <laughs> is around when I see words such as strategic review. Right. And, uh, you know, we see these sort of little code words that pop up. Uh, another one of my favourites, and I'm being sarcastic when I say favourites, is companies that put out releases at 4.50 on a Friday afternoon. Nothing to see here. Everything's okay. <laughs> not saying that's what PPE have done, but um, when you see words like strategic review, and even as recently as February, uh, strategic review is ongoing. It's been ongoing since November. I'm not quite sure what they're reviewing and why it's taking so long. But uh, that in itself is an amber light. So you've got a challenging macro environment which they're dealing with. Um, certainly the PE is attractive at seven times relative to that market average. Uh, but I, I, I'm not enthused, sadly, Koshi, because it's a Queensland company. It pains mm. me to say it. Mm. pains me to say it. But uh, I, uh, I just can't bring myself to do it. And certainly looking at the chart, the chart's not looking uh, that flash either. So I can think of lots of reasons not to be there. If, if you were a holder, as the viewer is, if it was to breach sort of that $2, it's looking pretty grim. But I think for the time being, it's a hold. Okay. A hold, but you'd sell under 2 bucks. Well, yeah, if you were going to, and I'm not trying to be clever in saying this, but if you were going to be selling, you probably should have been selling at about three, three fifty. So right. I think at these sort of levels, it's just... Hold on. Okay. It's not going to go broken. That's not the message I'm giving you, but it's not going anywhere in a hurry either. Okay. All right. Henry? Um, just wondering if, if hindsight is a Queensland trait, um, because it's easy to say, you know, you should have sold it at $3.50, and if it gets to 2 bucks, well, it's $2.70 now. If he gets the two bucks, you know, um, that's a long fall considering where it's been. So, yeah. you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. I have to say, I don't mind this one. Um, it has fallen a long way, as Andrew rightly points out. And, of course, there is an optimal time to sell it, which is always at the top. But it has reaffirmed its FY23 guidance. It's still delivering growth. Some of that growth is coming from the lower margin businesses, which have recently been acquired. So maybe that's what they're looking at in terms of the strategic review. Uh, I wouldn't be averse to adding a little bit here. Oh. Uh, it has fallen an awful long way. I'm, I'm, I don't think you go all in. You don't, you don't put all your chips in in this one. But the fact that it has reaffirmed guidance, I think, is obviously positive. 
they have got a relatively good yield, fully franked, uh, around 4.7%, which you know used to be pretty good when interest rates were, you know, zero. Yeah. But uh, of, of course now you're competing with uh, with risk-free rates in in treasuries and bonds, etc., which you know are up to 3.6 in 10 years, etc. So you know you're looking at 4.7. Are you getting enough money extra to pay for your risk? Or probably not. Yeah. But you're probably not going to be buying this one for the yield. This is probably more a, a recovery kind of growth story. Uh, I know labor markets are tight at the moment, but that will that will change, yeah. uh, especially as we head in towards uh, maybe a bit of a slowdown in the economy, which we just talked about. So I think this is probably at these kind of levels, $2.70-ish. It's probably not a bad one to nibble away with. It doesn't okay. have huge volumes that's the only problem all right so we'll put you down down as a nibble um a nibble okay andrew wants a view henry on um caravel minerals now you've talked about copper being you know everyone's saying this is the new lithium but there aren't enough listed copper alternatives on the market to put your money in what you've got samphire you've got oz minerals about to be taken over by by bhp andrew's saying uh, what about Carabell, uh, Copper Exploration and Development um, Group in Western Australia, in the central wheat belt of Western Australia? have got the Carabell Copper Project. Does this float your boat? Um, I mean, when we talk about there's not many copper companies around, there's a lot of copper wannabes. Uh, ah. This is obviously one of those. I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, all these press releases and results, briefings, etc., seem to be written by... Uh, real estate uh, copywriters, ideally located only 120 kilometres northeast of Perth, <laughs> with a b- vast views over the plains. You know, it's it's um it's just another one of these explorers. Uh, we're looking at the definitive feasibility study in the first half of 2024. So that is, you know, that is going to be a catalyst. But it's it's March 2023. So we've got a long way to go in terms of the, the DFS. There's a lot of work they need to do, like a Podium Minerals uh, is doing that uh, independent review of the flow sheet uh, for the company. But, um, you know, it's just another one out there. It does profess, and this, again, is probably written by the real estate copywriter, remains the largest undeveloped copper project in Australia. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's jammed tomorrow. They have just raised money. Uh, they have raised money at 20 cents, which is pretty much where it is at the moment. They ran it all the way up and it's come all the way back down. You know, if you want to play this end of the market, yeah, knock yourself out. But, you know, I think for me, with the, the current risk off, current uncertainty, uh, there are some of the big boys that are getting you know, more attractive than some of the little guys. Oh, and and okay. this is one, one, of the, one of the little guys at the moment. So, um, you so know, until, you. until we get, not for me. Okay, but... Sort of uh, the big boys you're talking about, Samfire, are you? And some of those? Yeah, I mean, Samfire obviously is that. And then, of course, you know, you go really big and you go Rio and BHP right, and you yeah. want real copper exposure, but they're a bit muddled and not uh, not pure. Not but pure Samfire fire. will probably emerge, emerge okay. as the purest one out. Andrew? Uh, look, everything my learned friend said, uh, I guess the key thing I note, and to Henry's point relating to that placement, uh, and, and great work for them getting that away, 12 million bucks. 
but they're burning through, well, based on the last uh, quarter anyway, they're burning through about two million bucks a quarter. So in other words, they've only got about 18 months worth of cash and uh, hopefully they find something or again, you know, this feasibility study is much further along the, the path because when you're burning through that sum of money, you've got to come up with some answers pretty quickly. The other thing I note that both the newly appointed managing director and chair, their shareholdings in this business is pretty light on. Right. So again, we're talking about Jerry Hardy only, uh, buying one or two through his uh, self-imposed DRP. We're not seeing that here. And the final point, and Henry may have mentioned, I just wasn't paying enough attention. Sorry, my friend, uh, was that <laughs> there's only 68,000 I know when we get to ETFs, you'll do the same, so I'm just getting in front of you early. Um, $68,000 a day traded. So right. even if we were madly in love with this, you can't get said. Yeah, so, too small. So, All right. Um, Andrew, Michael wants a view on a couple of gold stocks. Uh, they're explorers, but uh, Capricorn Metals, uh, gold producer, mineral exploration company, of, uh, to, they are actually producing uh, the Carla Winder gold project in the Pilbara region and Mount Gibson um, in the Midwest region. What do you think of Capricorn? It's actually going along pretty well, Koshi, and it's not a small company. The previous one we were looking at was 86 million in market cap. I mean, you know, you and I wouldn't complain about 86 million, but uh, Capricorn, 1.6 billion. So, you know, we are talking a very different league. Uh, And again, pretty good trading volume through as well. Probably the key thing I liked about their result, Koshi, their quarterly result, is they're building cash. They built a further $22 million in cash over that last 90 days. And you've got the chair and the CEO, ex Regis Resources, and we're involved in sort of building up Regis. So same sort of, you know, again, in this game, one of the things you're looking at is management's track record, their ability, have they done this before? And certainly the track record of management in this case they have. Uh, it's trading around consensus valuation. Obviously, everything that's going on it with gold at the moment, not only uh, with the banking system, despite its best efforts globally to blow itself up, um, and therefore people flocking to gold and, dare I say, crypto. Not a recommendation by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but, yeah, look, I think you need to have some gold exposure in your portfolio. So, you know, whether you look at some of the bigger names, and we might be talking about one of those in a moment, or whether you sort of look at some one of these more emerging names, you know, $1.6 billion is probably moving past emerging. Uh, I'd actually don't mind this, Koshi. I think this one actually looks interesting. So okay. I'm happy to put buy on this. Okay. Uh, Henry? Um, this is probably a hold from me, I have to say. You know, one of the things about holding gold miners as a hedge is at some stage you do have to actually unwind the hedge. Right. Otherwise, you're just, just you're just really a gardener otherwise because, you know, you need to be, if you're holding gold stocks because you're worried about the banking sector and the banking sector falls over and the gold stocks go up, at some stage you do have to unwind that and sell your right. gold miners. Uh, you know, so so you're saying cash. you've got to be active if you're going to hold gold stocks. To, They're not a set and forget. To, no, I mean, it's, it's right. like having an insurance policy uh, and your house burns down and you just keep the policy going and you yeah. don't actually claim. Uh, at yeah. the end of the day, you've got to actually make the claim. And that involves selling your hedge and buying back the thing that you were worried about, which in this case is the banking sector. Right. And we'll get onto that in the middle. As far as this one goes, Capricorn, I don't mind it at all. It's definitely a hold. Um one of the attractions, I guess, for Capricorn, for some and probably a detraction for others, is they do have quite a, uh, a level of hedging 
this is a bit of a dirty word in uh, in gold mining or certainly a dirty word for investors because they do like to get leverage that's the attraction yeah. of buying gold miners over commodities because you do want that leverage capricorn is a little bit more prudent and it has forward sold and delivering into some of those hedges not all of their production is hedged and they have got a, a lot of cash as well so i don't mind this one it's it's definitely a hold uh, guidance was maintained uh, the all-in sustaining cost was at uh, the lower end of the uh, the band that they had suggested, although that may increase slightly because of uh, what they call pit movements. Uh, but the, uh, the the Mount Gibson Reserve and Project Study could be a catalyst for this one. So I don't mind it, I, okay. I have to say. Uh, right. It's probably a hold here. Hedging may turn a few people off who like the, the adrenaline of the... Um, Yep. The, the ones that are up 10% down okay. 10% the next day. Um, Michael also wants to know whether you mind Emerald Resources, uh, Henry. Uh, gold Explorer, mainly in um, Cambodia. Yes, Emerald Resources, to be sure, to be sure uh, for this one. <laughs> Uh, it is Cambodia, and it's ideally located 275 <laughs> kilometers northeast of Phnom Penh. So um, not too bad. The, the share price has gone pretty well recently, I have to yes. say. Uh, it has been on a bit of a tear. So uh, there are some, uh, some, some good signs for this one. Again, that all-in sustaining costs. At the end of the day, we, we do get a bit emotional about gold. It yep. is just like anything that you produce. Whatever widget you produce... Uh, gold just has a lot of emotion attached to it. But if you're producing widgets as these guys are uh, with an all-in sustaining cost of 740 to 810 US dollars an ounce, ah. then... And it's gold, 1900 today. And it's 1900. It doesn't take a genius. Even I can do the maths and work out that this is quite a profitable little business these guys have got going. Uh, so, you know, that, that is a good thing. There's growth coming out of Canada and Cambodia, rather, with uh, significant exploration and resource potential there. Uh, and they've also got Bullseye in Australia, which, uh, again, uh, does give you some uh, some upside potential there. They've got some uh, uh, drilling to happen there. So I don't mind this one at all. But, uh, you know, all these are... You, you've got to trade gold stocks at the end of the day because... It doesn't, okay. you know, we've seen we've, we've seen this at the end of the day. So do you no, reckon, well, these last two have been at yeah. uh, five, almost five-year highs, pretty close, yeah. is now the yeah. time to trade, to sell? Well, Capricorn, I think, is uh, is probably still okay because of that high level of, uh, yeah. of hedging. Emerald, uh, it does look as if it's it's got more gas in the tank. Okay. But, um, you know... You, you do need to uh, take profits along the way. So just, just be aware of that. That goes for the whole, you know, resources generally. You, you do so need do you, to... Uh, so gold stocks, so, all right then, do you, do you sell a third? You could do, yes. If, if you've been a long-term holder and you'd seen this go from 90 cents to $1.58 and the gold price has gone pretty well, then uh, maybe you do sell it. Thanks and profits. A third. Right. Yeah, okay. bank some profits along the way because, you know, as sure as eggs as eggs, as my old mum would say, uh, these things will come back at some stage. It wasn't long ago. They were back down to a dollar thirty. Yep. So yep. it only only takes a shift in the wind and you can get them back yeah. at a dollar thirty. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've got to trade them. Okay. Uh, Andrew, time to trade Sage. or time to buy? 
sage advice, not that we give advice here, Koshi, but sage mm. advice uh, from the professor, uh, the rocking professor, one might say, uh, <laughs> and just relating to sort of the um, sort of the trading principle, you know, the, the very blunt way of doing it, of course, Koshi, is you just take your capital back. So in that example that mm. Henry just gave, you know, if it's gone from 90 cents to $1.50, we basically just sell off, you know, 60 odd percent of it or whatever it would be, and then you're punting the profit. Yep. Uh, that would be the safest way to do it. You could be a bit trickier and say, look, I'm going to sort of almost the opposite of a stop loss strategy where if it increases another 10%, I'm going to sell another 10% more. Yep. Yeah. You could play it that way too. But high level, you need to be trading these because the volatility and what's driving markets, you could even say the same with BHP. Yep. BHP at $50 is sell and at $30, you're all over it like a cheap suit. Yep. Uh, relating to Emerald, uh, I, I don't mind it. Again, somewhat difficult to get set, not completely impossible, but only about 400000 a day that's traded in the context of a $900 million company. So again, it's not a huge amount of volume. And to Henry's point, low cost and producing about 25,000 ounces. So that's a pretty good profit margin at a low cost without sort of uh, sort of appearing to be uh, alarmist. Probably the only other thing I'd be concerned about is sovereign risk. And I might add that investors that come to Australia face exactly the same problem where we seem to be pretty good lately in changing the rules and things as people are playing the game. Yeah. But, uh, you know, wherever you are in the world, if they're using a different rule book to yours, that's just something you need to be cautious of as well. Okay. On balance, though, I, I'm sort of happy to buy this at these levels. Okay. Uh, let's go to one of the big guns in town, the gold producers. Frank wants a view, Andrew, on Evolution Mining, uh, one of our largest gold producers. Yeah, so, you know, we talk about Emerald just before and we talk about their low costs. In fact, if we have a look at evolution, I think one of the things that's not helping them, because as we will see when the, when the chart comes up, the share price is down 40% for the year, which is yeah. quite interesting if you're considering what's happening with some of the other gold companies well, around well, the place. Emerald's up 46% for the year. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that's not helping them, and I'm sure the professor will also uh, have some uh, sage comments in a moment, but one of the things I would argue being the ETF guy is that uh, costs are really not helping them at all. Um, they've also got some pretty significant capital expenditure coming at them as well over the next couple of years to expend, extend rather the mine life of some of their sites. So I think the market's looking ahead and saying cost control, albeit it's okay, it's certainly not helping and there's a lot of capex coming at them. So yeah, look, I, I added, we've mentioned a number of other gold companies. This is probably not one, despite it being down 40%, this is probably not one that I'd want to be involved in. So it's okay. old. I hold for you. Um, what do you think, Henry, on evolution? I've, I've always been a fan of evolution, Koshi, I must admit, mainly because Jake Klein is a very, very good operator. But they have had some issues recently. Uh, Ernst Henry has had an awful lot of rain uh, mm. and they've had to actually uh, stop production from Ernst Henry. Uh, they call it a hiatus. Uh, we've seen this in a number of other countries. New Century Resources was one. Uh, and there was uh, a couple of other examples where rain has stopped play. And uh, mm -hmm. it does take a little while to get things back on track. Six weeks they're talking about. And as Andrew says, the, the, the thing about widget makers, whether they're a gold company or, or any other kind of company, is the cost of production of your widget is important. Yeah. And these guys have seen their widget production costs, which for a gold company we call all in sustaining costs, 
they have been rising costs have been rising clearly it's a lot cheaper to mine for gold in cambodia than it is in mm. wa okay um, and, you know with the different price pressures obviously but wa is a little bit more expensive the rain stop play situation as well is going to turn a lot of people off until that uh, that gets back on track that will affect production that will affect the, the cost of production as well because they've got to pump out all that water uh, dewater the whole site get the team back in there right. so it's a hot it's a hold it's a quality company jake klein does a great job uh, however, uh, there are headwinds, as Andrew points out, CapEx headwinds and also uh, okay. rain. Okay. Never go out in the rain, Koshi. No, no, but it, it's, it's <laughs> share, share prices <laughs> lag the other gold miners. So you wouldn't make the argument saying, look, they're going to open it in six weeks. It's, no. it's a laggard to the rest of the sector. It's going to catch up. Uh, this this is not the first problem that they've right. had, to be okay. honest. And those right. those increasing costs have been around for a while. The rain is just uh, damp icing on a soggy cake. Okay, all right. Let's recap the first five stocks. Stock of the day: Harvey Norman. Hold from Andrew. No from uh, Henry. People in a hold from Andrew. Bit of a nibble uh, from Henry. Likes it at these levels, but don't go in boots and all. Uh, Caravel Minerals, um, the being described as a, a, a wannabe copper producer. Uh, both Henry and Andrew say no, they prefer an existing producer, straight copper play in terms of sandfire resources. Capricorn, a buy from Andrew, a hold from Henry. Uh, same with um, Emerald, um, although Henry's sort of saying it's had a great run, maybe take some profits, bank some profits in there, uh, and evolution a hold from both. Here on the call, we've been tracking our own high conviction fantasy fund as picked by the investment committee. The last committee meeting is on the platform now. Uh, that meeting, the March meeting, they got out of Seven Group and Janison Education. They trimmed the minres, um, mineral resources holding and added MA Financial and Austal to the portfolio. And since the 1st of March last year, up 6%. Keep sending the requests into the call because that's the first filter to get up to the investment committee. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools. Plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right. This half hour, we're going to kick off with a couple of uh, ETFs, the Bayonek um, Australian Banks ETF and the Bayonek Australian Equal Weight ETF. Uh, then we're going to InvoCare, uh, Kelsian Group and the Reject Shop. All right. Uh, Aura um, ETF Whisperer wants a view on the Bayonek Australian <laughs> Banks ETF. Thanks, Koshin. Um, and again, thank you, Henry, for uh, my nickname. It's very much be appreciated. Um, if we if we sort of start at the beginning where most people start, 
let's have a brief conversation about banks. Um, yep. Certainly globally, obviously, there's been a few concerns the last week or so. And in fact, I've had a couple of my clients say, hey, you know, what, what do you think about Australian banks? I mean, I can't be any clearer. If you're making $30 billion after, uh, profit a year, you're going okay. So I'm very, very, very comfortable holding Australian banks. We'll come in a moment about concentration risk as to how many to be holding, but at a high level, holding banks is okay. So I guess if we're okay holding banks, then the next question becomes, which one do you buy? Now, I like Macquarie a lot. I'm pretty sure my friend Henry does. In fact, he's, the newsletter today talks about Macquarie, doesn't it, Henry? So, it does. Um, <laughs> so, 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 I do read it occasionally. So, so uh, do you just sort of buy all Macquarie? Um, or is there a way in which you can sort of buy the basket and instead of trying to work out is ANZ better than NAB, better than ComBank, can you buy an ETF that does it all in one? one go and that's uh, MVB. So it basically buys top four banks plus Macquarie and has a smidgen, one and a half percent of BOQ and Bendigo. So you've got that whole sort of banking exposure. Uh, I, I don't mind it, I think, as a satellite hold. So in other words, it's not a core hold, it's a satellite. If you think that banks have been beaten up, this is a good way to do it. If you want to have a bit of a nibble at Macquarie, but you don't want to get big exposure, another way to do it. But if you are worried about banks, you're worried about rising, um, sorry, you're worried about um, MIMS coming under pressure, you're worried about um, bad and doubtful debts rising, all that type of thing, then potentially you shouldn't be there. Me personally, I'm very comfortable holding this in particular with the weakness in banks of late. Okay. Um, Henry, should you be in banks at the moment? Is this, well, before the pullback in the last two weeks, as good as it gets yeah. for banks? And all the stats say big four banks have been terrible returners over a long period of time. Uh, they have, I have to say, Koshi, they have been terrible returners over a long period of time. But like anything, if you pick the right time frame, you can fudge the figures to make them fantastic returners right. or you could make them terrible returners. Like gold miners, like anything in this market, the set and forget is not the, the great strategy that it once was. Let's face it, you know, if you look at even a market darling like CSL, over the last few years, it hasn't really done anything at all. You know, it was clearly mispriced to begin with and went nuts. Um, but for the last few years, it hasn't really done an awful lot. Banks generally, you know, our banks are a very different business model to what we've seen blowing up in the US with those deposit yep. bases from from crypto banks where, you know, the startups put their money into them. It's, it's kind of extraordinary, really, that that wasn't picked up by the regulators with that concentrated risk by a bunch of um, you know, 25 year olds that basically just had to put their money there because they got the funding from there. So it just, it was an accident waiting to happen. And Credit Suisse has been an accident in slow motion that suddenly ended up with, um, with a very big crunch at the end. As far as our banks go, as Andrew says, they make $30 billion collectively between the big four. And it's, it's been a great business. The risk, of course, is that it is as good as it gets. And we are seeing adverts on TV. There's a little dragon sitting in a massage chair and they talk about, you know, refinance with us, you'll get $3,000 cash back. So clearly there is competition in the mortgage market at the moment uh, for what little business, I guess, that there is. Uh, Macquarie, very much at the end of the scale. They're the fifth 
I guess, uh, the fifth pillar in the mortgage market. They've always been very big in the mortgage market. They just never did it retail. They were you know, one of the big forces behind Aussie home loans in the yeah. early days. They, they supplied the wholesale money to, uh, to John Simons. So they've always been big. I'm actually reading the, the book at the moment, which I would recommend, The Millionaire's Factory. It is, uh, it is quite an interesting read. But um, you know, the, the banking sector has been whacked. Will it recover? Yes, it will recover. Um, we've got results in May, all those big fat dividends coming, but uh, clearly there are risks on the horizon, increased competition, a squeeze in NIMS, technology and staffing is not getting any cheaper. It may be as good as it gets, but this is certainly, this could be as bad as it gets as well. I mm. think the truth, like most things, lies somewhere in between. You know, this thing got to 32 bucks nearly on this ETF and it's got been down to $27. The, the truth is probably around 30 bucks is the right price uh, at the moment. So I, I think on that basis, it's a buy. It's a buy from me. Okay. I, I, the, ba the banks have been whacked. Macquarie's been whacked. Uh, maybe the trouble has passed. Okay. All right. Um, so Macquarie's a buy. Is that what you said in the uh, yeah. um, in the newsletter? Yeah. Nibble away yeah, at it? I, well, yes, finally, the more I read The Millionaire's Factory, the, the book, uh, the more um, I get positive on Macquarie. It's, oh, it's funny. And I'm only up okay. to, you know, the early 2000s. So oh, did you I get a mention? Seen... Unfortunately, Koshi, I didn't get a mention, right, okay. which, which, is a, which is a bit of a shame. I was, well, actually, it's probably not a bit of a shame. It's probably a good thing. But um, <laughs> certainly a lot of my uh, contemporaries and, and and bosses at the time uh, did get mentioned. So, okay, so all right. Well, worth a read. Uh, Andrew's, Andrew's picked himself up the floor that you've actually uh, recommended an ETF. Um, so, yes, uh, lightning will strike. Um, um, Whisperer, what do you think of the uh, Australian Equal Weight ETF Steve wants to die? Van Eck again. Yes, yeah, thanks for, for, thanks for noticing, Koshi. I've just gone, am I in some parallel universe? You know, like, what is, what is going on here? Um, so we spoke before about concentration risk, and I was just looking before as, uh, as Henry was talking. The big four banks make up about 24 25% of the index, and if we add Macquarie in there, that's another three. So, you know, I like round numbers. Let's call it 30%. Banks make up around 30% of the index. Uh, we're positive on banks, and I too love Macquarie. I'd be very comfortable buying at these levels. But if we then sort of think to ourselves, but what if we're wrong? And I know that that's unusual, unless you're at home and then you're always wrong. But you sort of think to yourself, is there holding 30% of your portfolio in something that could potentially fall over, is that the best idea? And if you, from a risk management point of view, take the view that you shouldn't, then this ETF might be for you, whereby, as the name suggests, it holds 84 different positions at around 1.2 one to 1.5% each holding so instead of mm. the banks as i just said say 30 percent to pick a round number they'd make up five percent or six percent oh, of right. this index okay so you're getting a much broader spread so the biggest names in here at the moment are ampol at one and a half percent seven group and what was the other name i just had it in front of me uh, medibank oh. they're the top three holdings oh. but then if you look at all the others it's like 0.1 percent difference between one and 84 so it's right. quite uh, quite well held together. Probably the key thing you got to think about though, Koshi, is to, and to Henry's point, you know, you look at BHP and you go at 30 bucks, it's a buy. This isn't going to help you because yeah. it's only going to be 1.5% portfolio. So 
quite like this. This is part of our core ETF model portfolio, which helps sort of counteract uh, when we've got, you know, an ASX 200 or an ASX 300 ETF in there. There's a barbell. It sits yep. at the other end of the barbell. We quite like it. So it's a buy. But it's a longer-term job. It's not a tactical. It's not a tactical ETF. It's a core long-term ETF. So okay. it's a buy. Okay, Henry. Uh, well, well, I guess if, if you like the ASX and you think we're we're at a cheap level at the moment, having fallen from that near all-time high back in January, uh, this this is a buy. Um, whichever way you slice it, it obviously does take out some of that concentration risk that Andrew so. Uh, eloquently talked about because th that is the problem with Australia is we have got you know basically if you put in BHP, Rio, Fortescue, Woodside and the four banks and West Farmers you've covered it that's yep. kind of the ASX 200 which is a bit sad having said that you know even a country as big as America the S&P 500 there are two stocks now that make up 13 percent of wow. the S&P 500 Apple and Microsoft yeah so, you know, every every economy, every country, I guess, has their own concentration risk. If we were to look at, um, you know, if you look at the FTSE in, in the UK, that has a preponderance of energy stocks and miners. Canada, again, energy stocks and, right. and different sorts of miners. So, you know, we, we do have this problem. To be honest, I, I tend to go with the, the more normal just index play as opposed to the uh, the ETF, only because I know that, the international guys, when they come in and they want to buy Australia, they buy the names that they recognise. Yep. And they they recognise BHPs and the Fortescues and the Rios because these are internationally recognisable companies. So they move fast and they move more than say Ampol. Right. So and because they have more of a concentration, you do get that leverage and bang for your buck. So I prefer just to go with a straight ASX 200. ETF and take the concentration risk. Actually, embrace it. Yep. We shouldn't be ashamed okay. of it. We should no, embrace no. it. Yep. So okay. I, I would embrace the concentration right. risk. So not this one for you. An ASX 200 ETF is the better one. I, I don't, I don't mind question. it. I, I don't. I don't mind it at all. Uh, I think it's a buy, but I'd prefer to buy okay. a straight ASX 200 right. ETF. Koshi, I'm mindful of the time, but what I forgot the, the most important part. This strategy has returned about 2% per annum over the life of the ETF since 2014, about 2% better than the index. Mm. So that's oh, another okay. reason that's put in yeah. there as well. Yeah, all right, good point. Um, Andrew Kurt wants a view on InvoCare. Let's get back to direct stocks there, the largest funeral cemetery and crematorium operator in Australia and New Zealand, 290 funeral homes, 16 cemeteries and crematorium. They own things like White Label, uh, White Lady, Simplicity Funerals and Value Cremations. Uh, what do you think of InvoCare? So again, a little bit different this one, but high level, this is actually a listed property trust. Yeah. You know, uh, and it's also got a funds management business, pre people prepaying funerals. But it's uh, again floated in my Macquarie days at $2. I think it got to about 17, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's fallen right away and it got into the nines. And at that stage, that's where the private equity okay. guys and girls yep. at TPG went beauty. And uh, they now hold around 19.98% of the company. So arguably, they're in a pretty strong position. 
one of the things that you look at, Koshi, when a company's under takeover is you sort of basically say to yourself, well, is it trading at the office? The office 1265, they're at about 1180, 1190. So arguably the market is saying, will this deal actually go through as TPG does their due diligence? Will they sort of find some issues? I'm not suggesting they will, but you know, that's maybe what the market mm-hmm. is sort of second guessing. The business itself is under a fair bit of pressure from a number of participants, including one on the ASX called Propel, yep. um, PFP for those playing at home. So I would argue that on a risk management basis, you wouldn't buy InvoCare because you don't know which way the, the due diligence is going to go. And if it, the offer was to fail, mm. it could potentially go back into the nines. There's not enough upside to, to justify it. So um, take your money and run? If you were a holder, if you wanted to give yourself certainty, you'd probably think about taking some money off the table, maybe half. Right. Uh, but if you're looking for exposure to funeral homes per se, this is not the place to be. You want to be in Propel. Okay. Henry? Uh, I, I would disagree with that. I, I don't think there's any point in being in Propel, to be honest, because these guys will crush Propel uh, if they get it. Uh, and Propel is, is in far less affluent areas, shall we say. And also, I, I, you know, for, to some extent, Invocare is a retail. It's a retailer. They sell the ceremony. I think the average cost of a uh, of uh, Invocare ceremony is about eight thousand six hundred dollars, whereas Propel is at least two or three or two and a half grand less. So clearly, people with Propel funerals, whatever brand they they're dying under. Uh, are spending less for the celebratory thing. And Invocare have done a good job in turning their their centres, uh, their funeral centres, into uh, a more celebration of life rather than a, a dour, uh, sort of more sort of traditional funeral thing. So that, that, that's the positive side. You know, the, the negative, of course, is that whether TPG, once they look under the coffin lid, look and say, oh, no, I don't like the makeup on Auntie Maud. She looks a little bit uh, <laughs> sick. Um, I'd much rather uh, see her dressed up. I think this one will ultimately go through. Uh, but as Andrew says, the price is the interesting thing. Usually on a takeover bid, the first thing you do if you're a holder is sell some into the, the first uh, bid. So at least if because the Inevitably, there's a rush of blood to the head, not so much with dead people, but there's a rush of blood to the head. And then that sort of uh, lapses as people start getting, oh, hang on, will it or won't it? Uh, this has happened, this one, this topped out, you know, $12.30 or something, yep. and now it's $11.82. So clearly that rush happened. Always good to sell on the first bid, at least some, uh, because there's always an opportunity to buy them back later in the day. I, I think this will go through, but I'm, I'm not sure the risk reward at $11.80 is sufficient for $12.65 uh, to justify buying it if you're coming to this new. If it dropped yep. to 11.50, then maybe the risk reward starts to move a little bit more okay. in your favour. The board will try and get TPG to pay more. Uh, they'll try and pretend that Auntie Maud looks absolutely fantastic and that really and truly she's just waiting for uh, <laughs> the lid to open and come out from, uh, from under the coffin. So uh, I think it will go through, but you might have to wait a while. Okay. And I'd rather buy it at eleven fifty. If you're a holder, okay. hold take on some, because and take it, some profits. You know, you, 
you're still in the game, but take yep. some profits when these things get okay. bid for first up. All right, uh, Cleo, I want to view Henry on uh, Kelsian Group, the old C-Link uh, tourism transport company. They own the Captain Cook Cruises. They own a bunch of bus companies, light rail, ferry services. They do the Kangaroo Island Ferry um, in South Australia as well. What do you think of Kelsian? I like this one. I've got to say, Koshi, I do like this one. There's a lot of uh, a lot of politics surrounding bus privatisation at the moment yep. in New South Wales. We do have an election, uh, which obviously brings out all the politics of this one. But I do like this one. The reason I like it, I guess, is that they have just raised money and they're buying a wonderfully named business called All Aboard America, mm. which is fantastic. So this is their push uh, because at the moment it's very Australian based. Yeah. They've got operations in Singapore as well. But this is a big push into America. Uh, so they're acquiring 100% of this. Uh, and these guys are a leading provider of passenger motor coach services, uh, mm. not just to corporates, but also the liquefied natural gas operations. That's quite a big feature when you look through the presentation in terms of what's happening with this one. It's the fourth largest motor coach operator in the US. It has, uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it's doing, it's got 1,400 employees. It's a big, wow. big business. Uh, in calendar year 22, it had $208 million US of revenue and uh, they got six brands. So this, this is when they, when you listen to these presentations, this is what they call one of those company makers. Mm. Uh, this, this could change the, the basis of the company, okay. I have to say. So I, I like this one, as you say, C-Link. They've got the Australian bus. They've got Singapore, London, and the Channel Islands as well with the bus services. Bit of politics, raised money, under pressure because of the raise. But I think uh, All Aboard America is a good purchase. And here we are at, uh, I don't know where they are today, uh, $6.14. Uh, I think, you know, this one is worthy of consideration. Okay. All right. Andrew, a buy for Kelsian? As much as I uh, don't like agreeing with Henry, I won't eat on this occasion either. Um, look, there's a few things that trouble me with the acquisition on the conference call when the uh, analysts were talking to management. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was that they did limited due diligence. Now, whether that's just a function of the time or whatever the case may be, if I was going to be dropping, you know, having me tens of millions that they dropped, I'd perhaps want to be doing more than limited due diligence. Maybe it was just a poor choice of term, but uh, I find that a little concerning. Uh, also, I'm sure we can all think of companies that have gone offshore sort of thinking that Australians are bigger, better, brighter and have come back with our tail between our legs. Certainly there's been some standouts as well. CSL, of course, obviously immediately comes to mind. That's, Andrew, the negative, which, you know, it's hard for me to be. Andrew, the positive, about 86% of their revenue is annuity style. So it's very uh, predictable, sticky business, trading well under consensus. And to Henry's point, that's because they've just done that raise at $5.55. And if they hit their forecast, you know, you're looking at about a 31% increase in earnings next year and trading on only 19 times earnings. So ticks all the boxes. I can certainly see why Henry's excited, but Andrew, the curmudgeon, uh, new, when businesses are being bought, cultural issues, offshore, some of that commentary, uh, it's a hold for me, okay. Andrew the Boring. All right, a curmudgeon hold after having the curmudgeon. having the satellite hold a bit earlier, um, really extending the terms here. Uh, Andrew Sharma wants to be on the reject shop. The general merchandise 
uh, product. The theme here would be so would be saying if we're going into a recession, the reject shop, cheap end of the market, value, that's the place to be if you're going to be in a retailer. Do you agree or not? Yes, it's important, Koshi, we delineate between the products that they're selling and the valuation of the business that we're talking about. Mm, and the company point. certainly at pains to talk about all the non-discretionary items that's just walking out the door at the moment. But then I sort of turn my mind, apart from that chart, we should actually almost have a health warning when we look at that chart. I mean, how can a business that positions itself you know, at the its market position be down 40% for the year or down 33% for the year rather. Um, but then I sort of look at the PE, I'm being asked to pay 16 times earnings Whoa. for a business that's got a 1% profit margin has only been able to grow 2% sales in this environment, then wouldn't this be their moment to shine? Mm. Wouldn't wouldn't this be sort of the absolute moment where they should be just smacking uh, it out of the park? Yeah. So no, no dividend. No. They're they're no. even on market buying shares, Koshi, and we just saw with that chart, it's not exactly you know doing a great deal. They're, they're threatening to pay a dividend and maybe even a special dividend uh, in August. But look, I can think of lots of reasons yeah. not to be there. Underwhelming, Koshi. Okay. Um, and when you consider, Henry, what JB Hi-Fi is on a PE of about eight or nine, and Nick Scarlett yeah. is about that as well, 40 is a lot for, for a retailer in this market. Yeah, I, I know that, actually, I know the argument is that, you know, as things get a bit tighter, people head down uh, to uh, more value-based uh, spending, yeah. and it still gives you the same buzz. I'm with Andrew on this one. You know, I can't see too many great reasons to be there. It doesn't trade very often either. It's pretty thin at times. Uh, they haven't at other times covered themselves in glory. They've had a few pretty volatile periods of time and uh, with no dividend and being expensive on a P basis. And it's just gone nowhere for for a long time. I, I can't see what's going to drive this. I mean, the, the, the theme is, is there and we're still not seeing it. So yep. no no from me. And you've got plenty of good retailers out there to choose from as well. Yeah. If you want to get well, into that, that's the thing. Well, you know, you've got Big W and Kmart and all those guys. They, they play yep. in that space and they're, they're much. You know they're they're cheap. You know they really yep. are cheap. You go into Kmart and you you're astounded at how you know fifteen dollar pair of jeans. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So. All right. Yeah. Okay, no. gents. That's it for us. Andrew, the ETF whisperer, Wyland from uh, DP Wealth Invest Advisory in Toowoomba. Good to see you, mate. Thank you for joining us. Koshi, very quickly because I know we're short on time. Boy from Oz at the Empire Theatre. Get amongst it. The oh. life story of Peter Allen, yes. uh, only 200 kilometres down the road. It is going off like a frog in a sock. We've got three more shows to go. So mm. uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, make sure you're there. Okay. Well worth it. I've seen it twice. Who's, play, who's playing the lead? So it's a local guy by the name of Justin Tamlin and uh, Liza Minnelli played by his wife, Shannon. And we've got a excellent professional, uh, Lucy Williamson. She's Judy Garland. It's okay. really, and Drew, uh, Drew Anthony is the uh, director. He's from right. Perth. Drew's doing an amazing job. Drew actually danced with okay, All right, all right, okay. Oh, okay, all right. We, we've got the, got the, got the trip. We get the, it, we yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For those who don't know, Andrew's a trustee of the Empire Theatre in Toowoomba. I'm very passionate about <laughs> it as well. Uh, maybe uh, we can get the all sorts up there. For, yeah, a, uh, for a gig. Into a world tour. Yeah, yeah. Went, I'll book. 
Henry Rockgod Jennings from Marcus today. Good to see you, mate. Good to see you, Koshy. Thanks, right. guys. Uh, let's recap the final five stocks of the day. Uh, kicked off with the uh, Bayonet Australian Banks ETF. Uh, that was a satellite hold from Andrew, a buy from, uh, surprisingly, Henry. He doesn't like ETFs much. Uh, the Bandec Equal Weight ETF, um, long-term buy from both of them. Henry would prefer a straight ASX 200 ETF to this one, but still doesn't mind it. Uh, take some profits on InvoCare under um, uh, under takeover offer at the moment. Uh, Kelsian, a buy from Henry, a hold from Andrew, and neither of them like Reject Shop. Uh, that's it for us for today. If you've got any stocks that you want me to put to our ex- panel, um, email the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the ad TV handle. And uh, coming up next, uh, a lot of opportunities amongst the small stocks. You have a good afternoon. A lot more coming up on Osbiz. Don't go away. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.